Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we have some insights into CAF's decision to support the proposal for the FIFA World Cup to be held every two years instead of every four years. Now, Ida is back from a trip to Switzerland where she visited the FIFA headquarters and heard from FIFA that they say their proposal will mean more tournaments, less qualifiers and less friendlies and less travel for the players. And Ida also spoke to the president of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, with the IOC very much against the World Cup being held every two years. Furthermore, it has an impact uh, on the overall uh, world sports and it has an impact uh, on uh, the the health and well-being of uh, the, the players. But there is a chance that FIFA might still go ahead despite the opposition. Also, Stuart on the Ballon d'Or, as Lionel Messi won the prestigious Player of the Year trophy for a record seventh time. But did Messi deserve it? And was Mohamed Salah overlooked unfairly as he came in seventh with Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp, saying Salah definitely should have been higher up? So lots on the show this week, and one of the big stories of the past week was the Confederation of African Football's decision to support the proposal for the FIFA World Cup to be held every two years instead of every four years. Uh, The move is perhaps uh, still unlikely to happen, as UEFA is strongly against this. Outside of football, the International Olympic Committee is completely against a World Cup every two years saying it would be hugely damaging to the Olympics and to many sports individually. We'll get to that soon, but first, Ida's just got back from a trip to Switzerland, where a group of journalists were invited. They went to the FIFA headquarters, and she spoke to the president of the IOC. Uh, Tell us more about the trip, Ida. (laughs) Yes, Steve, it was an interesting experience, (laughs) to say the least. Organized by the International Sports Press Association, it was a part of their reporters' program. And we were based in Lausanne for the week, so it actually was a three-hour trip, you can imagine, to the FIFA headquarters in Zurich by train and then a short car ride. And, you know, it was quite interesting to learn the history of the world governing body, which, of course, started, you know, by governing just eight countries in the early 1900s. Now, needless to say, the premises is absolutely top notch, really world class stuff, Steve. And something that I found peculiar and particularly interesting, I will say, is that of the seven floors of the building, five are actually located underground, you know, which makes for quite the eye-catching architecture. And majority of the day was spent listening to presentations from different heads of departments. Pascal Zubabula, the former Swiss goalkeeper, Steve, also played in the English Premier League, who is now a senior football expert at FIFA, you know, as well as Kenny Jean-Marie, the chief member associations officer recently appointed, by the way, in uh, 2021. Well, Insights from their talks, I will say, might be of interest to the listeners, though I have to say my standout was by American Carrie Seitz, who is the head of refereeing for women. 
That's a story for another day, though. But, of course, at the end, we visited the FIFA World Football Museum, holds the Men's and Women's World Cup, so that was pretty special. Relics from eons ago, Steve. So it was really insightful stuff. And, of course, all this, Steve, against the backdrop that... Uh, FIFA might be contemplating a move to leave Switzerland. So all this is unconfirmed, of course, but certainly does raise the eyebrow. Uh, right, and sounds like a great trip there. Uh, so Ida was in close contact with the World Cup trophy itself. Uh, so then on the FIFA World Cup being held every two years, uh, what impressions did you pick up, Ida, from FIFA and from the International Olympic Committee? Well, I'll say this, Steve, and this hasn't been a secret on any front. The two bodies could not possibly differ any further on this topic. Now, I had mentioned Pascal Zuberbola. Well, he gave a presentation on the benefits of a biennial World Cup, of course, you know, approaching it first as a former player and then as an administrator. So, FIFA is selling the concept, you know, under the blanket, uh, quote-unquote, more tournaments, but less friendlies, less qualifiers. So the presentation started with FIFA naming the five most traveled players, you know, as a result of the number of competitions played between 2014 and 2018. And then compared that with the projection for the same players, between 2026 and 2030 under the proposed reforms. So Sadio Mane, for example, you know, was fourth on the list, having traveled close to 240,000 kilometers, Steve, in that period, uh, 2014 to 2018. And uh, the same player, Mane, under the new reforms, will travel just about half of that, according to FIFA at least. So you can see how they're marketing the reforms and that in as much as it's more competitions, well, it's also more rest time for the players. This, of course, has been arguable. Then you have the International Olympic Committee on the opposite side of the spectrum, you know. And the AIPS did get a chance for a one-hour, one-on-one virtual session with the IUC president, Thomas Bach. And he did not mince his words, Steve, when it came to this topic. Just have a listen. The plans, uh, as far as uh, we we know them and uh, as far as the international federations uh, know them uh, through media, Nobody to whom I've been speaking had uh, had uh, seen a, a paper with a with a clear project. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, we know, there are these uh, plans uh, with uh, the, uh, the the World Cup uh, there every uh, two years, uh, uh, and uh, uh, then a shift in the football uh, calendar for both uh, the, the men's and the, the women's football. And I think th- this is obvious uh, there to to everybody that uh, this uh, would have a, a very serious effect on uh, the overall sports calendar uh, for for all sports. Uh, and this is why uh, so many international federations and uh, just uh, at the beginning of this week, also the Association of uh, the Summer Sports uh, Federations have uh, e- expressed uh, their their concerns 
and uh, have asked, uh, you know, for uh, for a dialogue, uh, for uh, a clarification, and for a clear picture, uh, which uh, again nobody has uh, received uh, so far. But uh, you know, this is only one uh, uh, issue. It's what it means for the for the calendar of uh, the, the 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 other sports. Uh, uh, you know, when uh, this uh, World Cup uh, would happen at or around the same time of other the big uh, sports events, uh, be it the Tour de France or uh, Wimbledon or uh, uh, World Championships in a, in a number of, uh, of uh, sports. It's also, you know, the health and the welfare of uh, the, the players. And, uh, you know, there uh, we have uh, seen a number of uh, players uh, who are now playing in 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 the in the league uh, who say that uh, this is uh, way too much and uh, that uh, you know this would be a would be a high risk uh, for for their health and uh, and well-being uh, and uh, we also have seen you know, the, the the clubs uh, who are paying uh, the uh, players uh, highlighting uh, their the risk uh, for even more injuries uh, when uh, the players are coming back uh, to their clubs uh, then uh, from uh, matches of uh, their uh, national uh, teams uh, and uh, then there's also uh, then uh, in particular UEFA and Comebol but also a number of national federations uh, who have been speaking out uh, on 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 this so uh, obviously it has a high impact on the world of football itself and uh, many uh, voices are speaking out against it uh, and uh, furthermore it has an impact uh, on the overall uh, world sports and it has an impact uh, on uh, the, the health and well-being of uh, the, the players. So that's Thomas Bach, the International Olympic Committee president, uh, talking to a group of journalists in Switzerland, Ida among them, and uh, careful language uh, from Bach, but uh, he's clearly not in favour of the World Cup being held every two years, Ida. So basically, no love lost. And as you've heard there, the IOC definitely took it as a sign of disrespect, you know, the fact that FIFA could not be bothered to communicate with them directly, at least according to the Olympics body. Steve, this is a global move of monumental proportions that, as we've seen, won't just affect the schedule of football, the nature of football, but of everything else. You know, the Olympics are actually considered the most prestigious games in the world, more so than the World Cup, you know, due to just how long they've been running. So such a stance, I will say, is definitely considerable. Yeah, interesting. But uh, despite CAF's decision to back the World Cup every two years, it still maybe doesn't look that likely to happen, does it? Well, CAF's close ties to FIFA haven't been a secret. So the African body backing a World Cup every two years, you know, it certainly wasn't shocking for many. But as we've said, Steve, there are just so many dissenting voices to this. The IOC, you'd mentioned UEFA. There is the English Premier League unanimous in its no. There's the European Union, even one of the World Cup sponsors, Steve Adidas, voicing its concerns. And, you know, FIFA might actually decide to be headstrong and go ahead. 
I mean, the feasibility is already on, you know, but all this at what cost? This is definitely a disruptor in more ways than one. And for majority, even as you had the IOC president Bach say, the move largely looks money driven. Steve, this makes me remember the European Super League <laughs> and all the drama that came with, you know, eventually dying a quick death. But look, I'll say this. Many things can be said about 2021, but no one will ever say that it was a boring year in global football politics. (laughs) Well, that's very true. And thanks for all of those insights uh, there, Ida, from your trip to Switzerland. We'll continue to follow this story here on Planet Sport Football Africa. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League. He takes us through the regulations when it comes to playing football in the snow, as we saw last weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at PlanetSportFA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. To social media now, last week we asked, who do you think Manchester United should appoint as permanent manager? Uh, with them firing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we asked, who do you think should take over on a permanent basis from next season? Uh, we know that the German Ralf Rannick will be the interim manager on a six-month contract, but we asked from next season, do they need a former player like Solskjaer, or is a more established coach a better option? We heard from Barang Sane in the Gambia, who says, I think Manchester United need an established coach who has huge experience to get the best out of the players. Uh, They need somebody who has man management skills because it's a high-level football club and the history attached to them says it all, says Barang. Also, we heard from Italy, from Malang Sambu, who says, I've been backing Ole for a long time, but things have gone from bad to worse. I think the board has taken the right direction by letting Ole go. But my advice to the players is that they have to play for that badge, no matter who is coaching them. Fans may focus the blame on the coach, but the players should step up and take their responsibility uh, because uh, they have world-class players in that team. So why put the whole blame on the coach? Uh, that's not the Man United I grew up watching and supporting, uh, says Malang. And he says, for me, I think the right coach for Manchester United's style of football will be Mauricio Pochettino. He's a leader and a fighter. Also from the Gambia, we have this voice note from Mohamed Bar. I think Manchester United should really go for a well-established coach than, you know, bringing an ex-player again at the club because we still have a lot of ex-players, though, at Manchester United, the likes of Gary Neville, you know, you talk about Rio Ferdinand, these are all players that played at Manchester United, even Wayne Rooney. But uh, I think for now it is very, very important for Manchester to look beyond uh, players that have played for the club because um, with the names that we are getting on media report over the past weeks or so since the sacking of Oligon Asoska, Mauricio Pochettino of uh, you know Paris Saint-Germain, you talk about Eric, Eric Tanghag of uh, Ajax, who is also doing fantastically well in both domestic as well as in the Champions League. My personal opinion here is uh, if it is me, I will absolutely go for a well-established you know, coach and I will absolutely choose. Zenit Zidane ahead of all these coaches. 
Thanks there to Mohamed Bar, who sent us that voice note from the Gambia. So he wants to go for Zinedine Zidane as his first choice for Manchester United coacher from next season. And more on Man United later on in the show as uh, we hear about uh, Ralph Rangnick uh, shortly, uh, what he has to offer the club as he takes over for the next six months. Uh, join now here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport by Stuart Weir, our European football expert in the UK. And let's start with the Ballon d'Or as Paris Saint-Germain and Argentina forward Lionel Messi won the prestigious Player of the Year trophy for a record seventh time. Uh, this stirred much controversy. Uh, Bayern Munich and Poland striker Robert Lewandowski came second. Uh, many felt that he was more deserving, while Mohamed Salah came seventh, with Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp saying that Salah definitely should have been higher up. Uh, well, Stuart, there's always a difference of opinion over these awards, uh, but Messi had an average season with Barcelona, didn't he? Although he did help Argentina to win the Copa America. Now, let's be clear at the beginning, Steve, that uh, Lionel Messi has been a brilliant, brilliant player over the past decade. Whether he deserved the Ballon d'Or for the seventh year is quite a different question. Is he currently the best player in the world? I would say definitely not. You need to ask... First of all, how important in deciding on the outstanding player is whether the player's excellence contributed to winning significant trophies. And also, how do you evaluate the level of the opposition? While Messi's statistics of 40 goals in 49 games from January to October this year are very impressive, you could equally say that his total includes penalties and that there are a lot of easy games in the Spanish league and the French League, compared to, for example, the goal that Salah has scored in the English Premier League. It has been a common criticism of Messi that he's never made any contribution at the World Cup. Well, as you say, Argentina did win the Copa America, but again, there are quite a few weak countries in that competition. My choice would have been Jorginho of Chelsea and Italy. He was a key player as Chelsea won the Champions League, beating Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid before winning the final against Manchester City. Chelsea were far from favourites to win the UCL. Similarly, Italy were hardly favourites to win the European Championship, and they did so with Jorginho, the only player in the front six who was not substituted at all during the tournament. So I think he has got... A uh, great case. Mosala, yes, 22 goals in the toughest league in the world. But perhaps Liverpool's failure to win a trophy could be seen as a negative in the assessment of his season. But you know, Steve, the great thing with the Ballon d'Or is that it's a matter of opinion who should win it. I have given you my opinion. All of you have your opinion. At the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is that of Pascal Ferret, and his colleagues who make the choice. Indeed. Well, we are asking for your opinion on this this week. Uh, did Messi deserve the Ballon d'Or? Uh, tell us what you think. Should somebody else have taken it? Uh, Stuart saying that Jorginho might have been more deserving. Others saying that Robert Lewandowski uh, should have won it rather than finishing second there. And for Mohamed Salah, we'd like to hear your thoughts there too. Should he have come higher than seventh there? So you can post a comment on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven. 
44795232780. Did Messi deserve to take the Ballon d'Or? Well, he did, as we say there, win the Copa America with Argentina, which was a huge achievement. Okay, to the English Premier League and Manchester United have appointed the German Ralf Rangnick as interim manager for the rest of the season. Uh, highly respected, even if most of us hadn't heard of him, Stuart. Well, as you say, we now know that Ralf Rangnick will be the manager of Manchester United for the next six months, after which he will remain with the club as a consultant. We understand that he told Manchester United he was not prepared to give up his permanent job as head of sport at Moscow Lokomotiv just for a six-month role. And we understand that he will be involved in the choice of the new manager, but quite what his role will be after the new manager is appointed is a big question. Manchester United are saying that there's no possibility of him becoming the permanent manager, so that is clear. But, wait a minute, didn't they say the same thing about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer three years ago? So what will happen if Ranić transforms the team, wins a trophy, gets them into the top four? I wonder. The word in the street is that Mauricio Pochettino at PSG and formerly Tottenham, Brendan Rodgers, Leicester City, and Eric Ten Hag, Ajax, are the favourites. Now, for someone with so much experience in the professional game and who has had so much influence on so many people, it is remarkable, as you say, that most of us really don't know much about him. He was described in a newspaper this week as the godfather of gegenpressing, which is the German expression for pressing, because that's the style of football he likes. He's very close to Jürgen Klopp, and Klopp commented dryly this week that his appointment is not good news for the rest of us managers meaning I think that Klopp thinks that Manchester United will be more formidable under the new manager. Among the players in the Premier League who played under him are Naby Cater, Sergio Mani, Roberto Firmino, Ibrahimo Kanati. He started his life as a teacher and apparently loves sharing knowledge more than anything else, and one of his nicknames is the football professor. He's 63 he played football for about 12 years, mainly as an amateur or in the lower leagues in Germany and a bit in England. He has managed 11 clubs in Germany, including Schalke, with whom he won the Bundesliga, and Leipzig, as well as being sporting director at Salzburg in Austria and currently working in Moscow. Someone described him as approaching football in a very communist way. Everyone in the team is equal. There are no star players and everyone has to work hard off the ball, no exceptions. That instantly raises the question of how the 36-year-old superstar goalscorer Ronaldo would fit into his team. In the last week, everyone has been trying to find quotes from the new manager, one which I think will please a lot of Manchester United supporters bored with how the team has been playing, is, when my team is the ball, I expect them to be passing forward, not across and backwards. And on occasion, he has told his teams that when they get to the halfway line, he expects a shot at goal within 10 seconds. And if they lose the ball, they have 20 seconds to win it back. Whatever else, he won't be dull. Ranjak said his priorities at Manchester United will be, I'm putting all my efforts for the next six months into helping the players fulfil their potential. I mean that both individually and more importantly, for the team.
Yes, very interesting. We'll see how it all works out. And、uh, last weekend, snow hit parts of the UK, and it was astonishing to see Manchester City playing West Ham with the pitch totally covered in snow in parts of the first half.、Uh, what are the rules regarding playing in snow, Stuart? Well, and I guess it must be quite incredible for a lot of African viewers to see the Premier League played in snow. But the reality is that the British winter, especially in Scotland or the north of England, snow is quite common. And if you don't play when there's snow, you'll have an awful lot of postponements. There are two issues for the referee: are the conditions safe for play? And secondly, can a proper game of football be played? Meaning things like: can the assistant referee see across the pitch? To make decisions on offside, are the lines, the touchline, the penalty area, the goal line clearly visible, so that decisions can be made on when the ball is out of play or in the penalty area? In the case of Manchester City West Ham and Leicester Watford, the officials were satisfied on both counts. It's actually quite interesting to hear David Moyes saying that he was quite happy to play in snow because he thought the conditions might be a leveller and might hamper Manchester City more than his team. Now. The game between Burnley and Tottenham was called off last Sunday because the referee explained to the teams that they could play a game not of two halves but of six periods of fifteen minutes. Because he said he felt we, they would have to stop every fifteen minutes to clear snow off the pitch. But neither Tottenham nor Burnley were happy to play in those conditions, so that game has been postponed. Okay, so that's why that game was postponed, and nothing unusual about playing in the snow in England, says Stuart. And what else have we got for us, Stuart? Well, there's good news for Newcastle United, Steve, in that manager Eddie Howe has recovered from COVID and is able to take charge of the team on match day. Bad news is that nothing has changed, and Newcastle United are still bottom of the table. They're still looking for their first win of the season. And they had a really important midweek game at home to Norwich, who are second from bottom. So bottom playing second from the bottom. Newcastle played most of the game with ten men after defender Kieran Clark was sent off for pulling back Timo Pukki when he was through on goal. Newcastle did take the lead, but it finished one-one, not what either team was looking for. But if Newcastle cannot win at home to the second worst team in the division, things don't look great for them. Incidentally, Steve,、uh, Newcastle United's England international player John Joe Shelby revealed that he's been going to bed at 8 p.m. all week because Eddie Howe's double or triple training sessions are leaving him too exhausted to do anything else. But looking at Newcastle and Norwich, I think it's going to be a tough job for either of them to survive in the Premier League this year. Steve, perhaps we could. Just have a little bit of sympathy for the Tottenham Hotspur chairman Daniel Levy, who's had to take a pay cut of nearly four hundred thousand dollars. But don't worry too much; he still earned over three million last year. Now, Mikel Arteta made some interesting comments about Nicolas Pepe in the week. Pepe had had very little game time recently, and he was asked at a press conference if Arsenal were getting value for money from the Ivorian. Given that he cost a lot of money when he came, Arteta's answer was that he would know the answer to that in a few seasons' time. He would know if Pepe is capable of achieving what we expect from him. He added that the value for money question is difficult to answer, not just for him but for any player. 
But I thought that was an interesting answer and not a very enthusiastic endorsement of the player. Now, I read an interesting and rather embarrassing statistic recently, Steve, that four clubs in the Premier League have taken a shot at goal from a direct free kick more than 50 times since they last scored one. Top of that league table are Watford. 65 free kicks, shot at goal, not a goal occurring. And Burnley, Norwich and Aston Villa are also on the embarrassing list. Um, Finally, Steve, one interesting result of the appointment of Ralph uh, Rangnick as interim manager of Manchester United is now three of the top six clubs in England have a German manager. Go back six years and there were no German managers, but now Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea are all in the hands of Germans. And I know you'd want to know that, Steve. There are five English managers, three from Spain, two from Italy, one each from Ireland, Scotland, Denmark, France, Austria, Portugal and Argentina. Well, it really is such an international league, the English Premier League. Thanks a lot, Stuart. So West Ham, Chelsea, the biggest game this weekend. That's on Saturday. And Manchester United with Ralph Raniak as the interim manager play at home to Crystal Palace on Sunday. Reminder of our question on social media this week. Uh, did Lionel Messi deserve to win the Ballon d'Or? Uh, what about the likes of Robert Lewandowski and Mohamed Salah? You can give us your thoughts on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. So from me, Steve Vickers uh, in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. That's it for this week's show, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.